This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. Talk Radio 1210. WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. An Odyssey Station. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Sunday morning at 10. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or 10 months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good morning and welcome. Another glorious spring Sunday. I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie, your radio doctor. Over the past few weeks, we've talked about spring, a time of rebirth and starting over. Well, new life is what we're here to celebrate today. Learning you're expecting a new baby can be the most joyous news couples will ever hear. But there are steps you should take to ensure the good health of your baby and yourself. Joining us today, Dr. Mark Finnegan from Axie Women's Health. Dr. Finnegan is a graduate of Princeton University and Jefferson, now Sidney Kimmel Medical College, completed his residency at the Lankanal Hospital, where he then joined the McConnell & Associates Group in 2005. He's a highly skilled obstetrician and gynecology surgeon who has extensive experience in laparoscopic or minimally invasive surgery and open surgery, as well as robotic surgery. He's a fellow of the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and is highly respected by colleagues and residents alike, as reflected in his several teaching awards. Mark, thank you for joining us. I have to add that your patients love you and are grateful for your skills, too. Thanks for having me. So, Mark, so much good information to cover today. Let's start with when a woman should begin her prenatal care. Uh, We see most uh, women in the first trimester between 8 and 10 weeks, although some people think prenatal care starts uh, before conception um, at the time of a preconceptual visit or just by starting to take vitamins and things like that to get ready for pregnancy. And I know when I see a new patient, there's so much to cover because we want to ask them their medical history, including allergies. Are they on medicines? Have they had their immunizations? But now you're thinking for two people. So you also want to assess the mom for any disorders that might be inherited, any substance use, um, infection uh, history, their exposure to uh, medications or even workplace um, environmental factors that could hurt the baby? Um, Have they traveled to places where they could be exposed to malaria or TB or the Zika virus? So that you bring up a great idea. In the ideal world, sometimes they come before, uh, a patient might come before she tries to conceive. So tell us a little more, if you would, about prenatal vitamins. 
Well, I mean, we'd like everyone to start pre-no-vitamins several months before they decide to conceive, Um, most importantly because they contain folic acid. Uh, The minimum requirement uh, is 400 micrograms, which most uh, over-the-counter prenatal vitamins and vitamins have. People may need extra uh, folic acid if they have a history of uh, neural tube defects or uh, they have twins. But for the most part, the standard uh, over-the-counter prenatal vitamin uh, has adequate amounts. And I know the other day we had a a long conversation about these important issues, and folic acid can reduce certain birth defects uh, in the baby, in the brain, or spinal cord by more than 70%. And I even saw one study that said that women who take folic acid for at least a year before getting pregnant, they reduce their risk of early delivery by about 50%. And so those birth defects can occur during the first of three to four weeks of pregnancy, and that's when it's important to have it in your system. So as you say, if you could start it before conception, that's the ideal. Um, the other thing I'm sure that you run into, Mark, not all prenatal vitamins are the same. So patients should check with you and make sure they're taking one that doesn't have too much or too little of the vitamins needed, yes? Yes, I mean, the folic acid is a key ingredient as well as DHA. Um, but more importantly, the patient has to be able to tolerate uh, the vitamins she chooses. Um, some do better with uh, the gummies or the chewables, and some people just uh, have a hard time swallowing pills. So we have to find one that fits each patient. And I know like uh, a, a lot of women's vitamins have a little extra iron in them because women can become iron deficient during pregnancy, and that can slow your GI tract in a way that's not very comfortable. But no matter what you take over-the-counter supplements, please tell your doctor. Even if the container says natural, there might be a kick to it, uh, like a laxative or something that your doc needs to know about. So tell us, a woman misses her period. How accurate is the at-home urine test to say if you're pregnant or not? I mean, once you've missed your period, uh, most uh, over-the-counter urine pregnancy tests should be sensitive enough to detect the early amounts of HCG in your urine, Um, although there's a fair amount of variation in the sensitivities of over-the-counter products. And I know that the blood test can be positive earlier than the urine test, but for the most part, you don't need to, a mom, an expectant mom doesn't need to know that unless maybe there's a history of miscarriages that you really need to know soon after conception in case you need any supplements. How about that? I think if somebody's had a history of a miscarriage or if they're having some bleeding, uh, we certainly would like to get some baseline uh, lab values for their HCG levels um, and the progesterone levels. So yes, we we might see them earlier and, and get some blood work on them. And just so patients listening, there are no medications that could give you a falsely positive urine test. Am I right about that? Uh, not that I know of. <laughs> if it's positive, you're having a baby. What Correct. constitutes a high-risk pregnancy? What categories of people do you include in that? Uh, certainly people with pre-existing medical conditions. Um, the most common, obviously, would be hypertension, diabetes, um, autoimmune diseases such as lupus, um, and, uh, you know, not as common, but certainly cardiac issues that people could either be born with or acquired, but um, so there's probably the, the top of the list there. And I know you mentioned, you know, we think of older mothers because they're more likely to have those issues, but um 
you concern yourself too with younger mothers because sometimes teenagers don't have the best diet. And so that's a special category that you have to think about too. The word ectopic, we know uh, medically that means something in a place where it's not supposed to be. So an ectopic pregnancy means that the developing baby is in the fallopian tube. And so how do we protect against that or what puts somebody at risk, I should ask about for an ectopic pregnancy? Well, certainly when we see people in the first trimester, um, you know, we do an ultrasound and our number one uh, job is to confirm that that pregnancy is in the uterus and is viable and has correct dating. Um, and uh, we certainly want to rule out that ectopic issue as early as possible. Um, some people could have pain, some people would have bleeding, some people would have no symptoms at all. So it can be a challenge, um, but that early ultrasound uh, most of the time can put the uh, your mind at ease. Mm-hmm. So that early ultrasound is really meant to make sure the baby is in the uterus, in the womb, in that little home that's ready to uh, house the growing baby. And things that might put a woman at increased risk for ectopic, maybe a previous ectopic, of course, would be worried about that happening again, but previous pelvic infection, right? Or endometriosis that might block the, or scar the fallopian tubes and the egg travels from the ovary through the tube in the uterus and it might get held up by scar tissue, right? Or previous pelvic surgery or even a ruptured appendix. You told me you had a case of that one time that it led to scarring of the tube. Absolutely. Anything that could potentially damage the the tubes or ovaries um, and uh, sometimes we never know what it was that the, the pregnancy just didn't make its way back to the uterus and so well aside from losing the baby it can be life-threatening for the expectant mom too and that's why it's so important to go to your obstetrician early stay with us and learn more from obstetrician dr mark finnegan Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. Thank you for tuning in to Your Radio Doctor with our guest, Lankanal obstetrician and gynecologist, Dr. Mark Finnegan. Mark, what are the common reasons why a woman would have a miscarriage, or is there anything a woman can do to prevent miscarriage? Um, the most common cause of early miscarriage is uh, chromosome abnormalities, which really there's not much you can do about it. It's uh, just bad luck. Um, we see that with increasing frequency as women get older and have babies in their late 30s and 40s. Um, but certainly other uh, etiologies include uncontrolled diabetes, hypertension, uh, poor nutrition, uh, substance abuse, uh, even uterine fibroids could affect the ability to carry a pregnancy. Um, in the second mm-hmm. trimester, we see uh, uh, possible uh, miscarriages from um, you know, congenital anomalies um, and, uh, and weakened cervix or cervical insufficiency. Sure. So the other important issue that I know patients focus on is weight gain during pregnancy. I'm sure there's an ideal um, when you're eating for two people doesn't mean you take two helpings of everything. About the average, a woman should ask maybe 300 calories a day or so, so that the total weight gain is somewhere between 25 and 35 pounds. Was that about average? 
That's about average. I think the it depends on the, the uh, starting uh, BMI of the patient. Uh, women with a lower uh, body mass index uh, expected to gain a little more weight uh, as opposed to the uh, high, higher end where we expect uh, you know maybe lower down to 15 or 20 pounds. Um, and we're all we're trying to obviously grow a, uh, a good sized baby without making it too big or making it too small. So we're trying to find a happy. Sure. Thing. Well, for the mom, if the mom gains too much weight, that bumps her risk for gestational diabetes, preeclampsia, which you'll talk, we'll tell us about a little bit later, super high blood pressure that can be really uh, problematic. And gaining too much weight also increases the mom's risk for a C-section or a difficult vaginal delivery. Or, and I've read, uh, you can irony this, babies that are quote unquote overgrown or big at birth are more likely to be obese as adults. So that would be pretty obvious, I guess. But then as you say, women who don't gain enough weight, um, they're at risk for having a small baby, a smaller baby than you'd like to see, um, which can have short and long-term consequences. So. Um, one of the things that I see as a GI doc, um, especially people who don't absorb their nutrition because of celiac or some GI disorder, that in your undernourished patients, I'm sure you worry about their calcium intake too for the mom's bones and development of the baby. Is there an amount of calcium that a mom should take every day? Uh, we don't set any specific goals. I mean, we you know encourage uh, dairy. Um, but you know, some people are more tolerant than others. So whether it be milk or yogurt, cheese, um, all those things are fine. And uh, so, no, we don't uh, try not to put a number on things because um, I think it just is uh, uh, too much pressure on people who you know don't do well with those type of food groups. Yeah, yeah, and you know, too, again, as a GI doc, calcium is much better absorbed in the diet with the items you mentioned then pill form they're not it's not absorbed as well and calcium can also give you a slow gi tract that constipation word keeps surfacing and we don't want to add to a mom's discomfort the magic of ultrasounds when do you do them and what do we learn from them well we we initially almost all patients coming for their first prenatal visit get an ultrasound the majority of them in the first trimester anywhere between seven and twelve weeks and that's mainly to document uh, a normal, viable pregnancy that's measuring appropriately. Um, and that just puts everyone's mind at ease. Um, the next uh, ultrasound uh, is typically done around 11 to 14 weeks. And that's called the early anatomy scan or uh, the NT scan, which stands for nuchal translucency. Um, and uh, that can be reassuring if that's a normal ultrasound and reduces the risks of the baby having a chromosome defect or cardiac defect. And finally, the... And Mark, a quick question with that. Uh, for nuchal translucency, the word nuchal refers to neck. Right. And if I understand it correctly, tell me if I am. And the nuchal translucency ultrasound focuses on a small, clear space at the back of a growing baby's neck called the nuchal fold. And it seems that if that spot accumulates fluid, that's what you might correlate with chromosomal abnormalities. Um, but there can be false positives, so you back that up with blood tests later on, am I right? Right, some others will have 
so-called NIPT, uh, which is a blood test that detects um, your baby's DNA, DNA in your bloodstream and can tell you the, the baby's chromosomes and gender. Um, other uh, moms will have sequential screening, which is really biochemical testing that can determine whether a mother uh, is at high risk uh, or low risk to have a baby with chromosome abnormalities. Mm-hmm. And then the other magical scan, I went with my daughter and watched her have, I think they told me it was a 4D, uh, if that's even possible, ultrasound. And that's the anatomy scan at maybe 20 weeks, exactly. where you measure crown rump, which is so cute, from the head to the bottom of the baby. And tell us a little more about that and what you could see on that anatomy scan. Well, it's a pretty extensive ultrasound that looks at uh, all the anatomy from head to toe. Uh, I tell patients they're going to check out the the brain, the heart, the stomach, the kidneys, um, the bladder. They're going to measure the legs and the arms, and they're going to check for 10 fingers, 10 toes, and they can even see the the upper lip and the nose. So they can see a lot of anatomy to make sure everything looks good. And I know you look for the amount of uh, amniotic fluid, too, to make sure there's a good amount of fluid. It's like the packaging in a UPS box. It's what keeps the baby safe when the mom's moving around. And it also tells you about the location of the placenta, and you can check the baby's heart rate. It's incredible what you can see. It's the kind of thing that a grandmother sits and cries watching when it's being done. Um, But it also may reveal the sex of the baby. So make sure, if you're the expectant mom, tell the ultrasound tech if you don't want to know, boy or girl, right, if you want to leave it a surprise. So what are the signs and symptoms that a patient should call you with immediately if they're pregnant and they experience things like vaginal bleeding and all? Well, obviously, you know, early on, the uh, the bleeding is uh, a common, very common call. Um, and uh, uh, many women can experience cramping early on, and, and that can just be some growing pains. But obviously, the bleeding is something we need to look into um, as the pregnancy goes on, obviously, we're watching for premature contractions and cramps and pressure and you know, trying to rule out uh, the possibility of premature labor, um, any kind of leakage of fluid uh, in the second and uh, third trimester. Uh, we certainly don't want people breaking their waters before 37 weeks if we can avoid it. Um, so... It can be hard to diagnose, uh, you know, pre- premature contractions. So uh, that's why we we have to many times have to see people and evaluate them and make sure everything's good. Oh, sure. And I know vaginal bleeding, if it's early and it's a small amount, and am I right, if it's rust-colored, it suggests that the developing baby has sort of burrowed into the wall of the uterus, and you expect to see a little bit of uh, rust-colored blood. Um, now, the other thing is the signs of preeclampsia. That means that your blood pressure is sky high. You don't want the mom to have a stroke or heart attack. You don't want the uterus to not behave. And a woman might have a headache that doesn't get better after Tylenol, blurry vision, persistent belly pain, and that's something they call you with STAT. And I know you do other ongoing assessments with maybe another ultrasound to make sure the baby's growing properly because sometimes the uterus doesn't cooperate. I had a patient one time who had a heart-shaped uterus and the baby was trying to grow and couldn't and they found that out and delivered the baby early. But, um, and the last thing, we'll go into the next segment with it, but you assess the baby's position 
breach means instead of head being down, head has to come out first to get that door open to let the baby out. The baby might be feet first. I know I came out feet first. That might be why I like to dance. Um, and sometimes you try to change the baby's position. So let's take a little break and we'll be right back with Dr. Mark Finnegan. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed on Radio.com. Listen to the show at your convenience. Go to Radio.com and in the search bar type in Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. We're here with Dr. Mark Finnegan, and we're just about to talk about babies making sure they're in the right position to be, to come into the world so breach means the baby is facing north instead of south tell us about that mark and what you try to do well many uh, babies in before 37 weeks can be can be breached but in the last month uh, over 95 percent of babies find their way to be head down so um, when we see people for their weekly visits in the last month we're always trying to make sure that we can feel that head and if we're not sure, then we do an ultrasound to confirm that the baby is uh, what we call cephalic or vertex and head down uh, in that last month. And if they're not, then what? Well, um, basically, there's, I guess, three options. Uh, one, we can offer an external uh, cephalic version where we try to make the baby do a somersault and uh, get back in position. Uh, <laughs> Some people are eager to do that. Some people are not. It's probably more successful when people have already sure. had a baby. Um, if that doesn't work or people decline, then and usually people go on to have a C-section. Occasionally people show up and actually deliver a baby vaginally uh, in a breech position, but that's uh, probably few and far between these days. And I know when, when you try to rotate the baby so that the head is down that as you say ECV or external cephalic meaning the head of the baby version we're trying to convert the baby to be uh, in the right position it's performed at the hospital the baby and the mother are being monitored and the mom's in a certain position do not try this at home as we often say about a lot of things you see on TV do not try to rub your belly and change the baby's mind Mark what are some of the common blood tests that are so essential uh, throughout pregnancy that you check? Uh, well, the first prenatal visit, we, you know, we start with uh, basic stuff like your blood type um, and your RH. Uh, we want to know if you're RH negative, um, which about 15% of people are RH negative. We check for their blood count, um, see if they're anemic. Um, we uh, screen them for, you know, see if they have immunity to rubella, chicken pox, um, we do extensive STD screening, um, as well as uh, urine drug screening uh, if a patient consents to it. So, uh, also we check the urine um, for infection. We certainly don't want to miss an underlying uh, urinary tract infection that could lead to uh, cramps and contractions in pregnancy. So we we want to get ahead of that. Sure. And I know you you also probably check for hepatitis B. Um, make sure that if they've been vaccinated themselves as babies that they still have the uh, immunity to hep B. Um, syphilis, HIV, I'm sure that uh, adds to uh, being extra cautious. 
And you check, um, I know as a GI doc, once in a blue moon, fortunately not very often, we see people that have uh, issues with their liver during pregnancy. Um, thyroid we talked about before and lead levels, right? Don't you check lead levels in uh, expectant moms too? Uh, not often unless there's a reason there. Um, so, uh-huh. um, uh, yeah, we don't usually check their their past history. Yes, unless we in liver function studies, we may check if somebody has a history of uh, hypertension or preeclampsia just to get a baseline, um, and then we check that throughout mm-hmm. pregnancy. And I guess depending on their family history, their ethnic background, and maybe even their race, you might offer genetic counseling to test for Tay-Sachs or cystic fibrosis or sickle cell anemia. So, Mark, let's move on to vaccinations. A newly pregnant mom, every time a mom is pregnant, she should have an updated Tdap. What's in that vaccine? Uh, that uh, includes tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis, or better known as whooping cough. Mm-hmm. Um, we generally uh, have people get that in the, later in the third trimester, um, and that's mainly to help uh, boost the mom's uh, immunity to transfer that to the mom through the placenta um, and uh, into the breast milk. Um, and, and flu, as you mentioned, a mom's immune system is definitely compromised with pregnancy. And so th- flu can be life-threatening in a pregnant mom, you know, an expectant mom. And so the flu vaccine is so important. And of course, now the American College of OBGYN is recommending the COVID vaccine during pregnancy and while a mom is nursing, yes? Yes, I mean, the, definitely the flu vaccine we've given out for years. Uh, even though this year we didn't see a lot of flu, uh, we still encourage people to get it. Mm-hmm. And since December, we've encouraged people to get the COVID vaccine. Um, and uh, uh, many people have gotten it. Uh, some people are on the fence, have decided to wait, you know, maybe until after they deliver and get it while they're breastfeeding, which is fine. And um, mm-hmm. we fortunately have been spared, uh, you know, severe disease as far as the COVID's concerned, when, at least in our patient population, we've been relatively lucky there. So that's a good thing. And I know it's, it's so smart. Uh, telemedicine is great, but again, uh, pregnant women are a special, uh, you know, uh, part of the medical community. And with more visits being virtual, I know you're asking your patients to have a scale and a blood pressure cuff at home. So you're not just chatting with them. You do have some metrics to follow. And I'm sure that very often patients will call and say, what over-the-counter meds are safe if I have my, you know, acid reflux or my seasonal allergies come along or common cold? What do you tell them about that? Uh, most of the antacid medicines are approved in pregnancy. That Usually what we start with is the Pepsid. Um, that's a that's probably a first-line therapy for antacid and uh, the heartburn, GERD. Um, for uh, allergies in this time of year, it's it's uh, pretty rampant. The um, uh, we all we allow Zyrtec and Claritin, and um, which uh, the majority of people seem to get relief from. And I know um, uh, one of the good things about the end of the, the end of the third trimester, when the baby drops, your acid reflux gets better because so there's more room at the top, and your baby's moving to the bottom. So that's a little cue that the baby's about to come out. So food advice, the. For, for our listeners, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists has a beautiful website, so navigable, so much great information. And I read this piece, and I'll just go through it quickly, Mark, but when you're pregnant, 
you want uh, to avoid shark, tilefish, mackerel, and swordfish because these fish may have high levels of mercury, which can be harmful to the developing baby. You can have a small amount of tuna. We prefer a small can of chuck light tuna, maximum once a week. Caffeine. I remember when I was expecting our first baby, the doctor said, no caffeine. And, you know, you you would say it's okay to have maybe one cup of coffee a day. But remember, to our listeners, caffeine is not just coffee or tea. It's in chocolate, energy drinks, colas. So have your little cup of coffee, but make sure you follow the rules. Sushi, raw fish is not a good idea during pregnancy. And any unpasteurized milk or cheese um, because that can carry a bug called listeriosis that can make a mom very very sick so that would include uh, cheeses with raw milk like feta some queso fresca and blue cheeses just wanted to get that in there because people ask those common uh, questions and then mark it's interesting you were talking earlier about one of the things you follow is teaching the mom toward the end of her pregnancy how to check for fetal movement when should she start checking and and how do you instruct the woman to follow the baby's movements well, I always tell them to just make sure, uh, for starters, that you know babies are you know moving every day, and um, everyone has their own little routine depending on whether they're working, taking care of kids, or whatnot. So, but uh, we start to talk a little bit more about fetal uh, kick counts and movement. You know, as you get into the third trimester, and uh, you know if the baby's moving well, then great. If there's any concerns, we tell people after they. Uh, have a little snack or something to eat or drink. They uh, ideally lay down on your left side and, and, and make sure you're getting, um, you know, 10 kicks in an hour or two. And most people can do that uh, pretty easily uh, once they're paying attention, you know. Um, and as, yeah. as the baby gets bigger and the fluid gets lower and towards the end of pregnancy, there, there may be less kicking, but there's still a lot of movement, and it could just be rolling or nudging. So I always tell them all movements count, and as long as that kid's moving, that's the most it's important It's so cool. Thing. Yeah, I think it's one of the coolest things I've ever experienced. Um, Mark, quickly, we talked a little about C-section versus vaginal uh, delivery. Certainly if the baby is in breech position, that's a consideration. I think moms want to know if they have a C-section, how many C-sections can can one woman tolerate? Uh, that's a way broad question. And I don't think I have a specific answer. And can you try to have a vaginal delivery after you've had a C-section? Well, many women are candidates to try to have a vaginal delivery. Uh, certainly, a lot depends on what happened with their first um, delivery or why they had the C-section. Um, and certainly, if it's just a, a breach delivery and you didn't labor, then then you're you know you've got one of the best chances. So, um, I think if somebody does go through uh, labor, so it's just, still possible. It doesn't get too far. Or, then, you know, there are even, you know, calculators out there to predict your success rate. So, yeah. Mark, you've probably delivered some babies. What's the earliest point in, in pregnancy that a baby you delivered uh, survived? Um, they've survived as early as 23, 24 weeks. Um, it's a long haul in the NICU for them, but wow. they, they can viability is considered around still around 23 to 24 weeks at this point so um but it's not easy to do that and we certainly still deliver babies between 24 and 28 weeks and um you know 
but uh, thank God for our nephew. Have you have you ha have you had the chance to see that little twenty three week old baby um, grow? And have you seen any of those really early deliveries as they become older children? Uh, sure, we have plenty of moms who uh, have gone through it and uh, go on to have more babies, and they and the kids do well. But it is it can be a long haul for baby and moms and families. So uh, we try to get them as far along as we can. Well, thank you for studying so hard in grade school, high school, college, and medical school to be so smart because I'm sure people are so grateful to you for your help. <laughs> Let's take a little break, Mark, and we'll be right back for our last segment. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented in part by Recovery Centers of America. When needed, call RCA, 1-888-RECOVERY. And we thank Dr. Mark Finnegan in our final segment talking about how we prepare for safe pregnancy and delivery. Mark, um, we talked about moms having preeclampsia, and they're still at risk even after delivery. So what would you tell a mom who has high blood pressure, what signs they should watch for and for how long after delivery? Well, preeclampsia and eclampsia can um, persist, uh, you know, during that first week or two after delivery. So that's a time when we're on high alert to make sure mom's not having any visual changes, headaches, um, just not feeling well. And uh, we generally try to get them in the office and for a blood pressure check and check their weight and, and their swelling and see how they're, how they're making out postpartum. And so you like to say that that first week is the most important. If they're having shortness of breath, chest pain, that would be obvious. You would hope they would call you right away. But swelling that doesn't seem to be responding. Um, and then the other thing that's not as extreme as preeclampsia, but blood pressure can stay elevated for, you mentioned, maybe 8 to 12 Absolutely. weeks, right? Uh, some people on or off medicine, we can it can be a challenge to uh, keep an eye on them. And sometimes we have them come in every week or two to make sure it's stable and hopefully trending downwards. And some people, you know, could take weeks to months to get their pressure down and get off. And and how long should a mom stay on her prenatal vitamins? We generally recommend if if you're going to breastfeed that you continue your prenatal vitamins. Um, and uh, certainly if you're going to consider having more kids down the road, you might as well just make it a good habit of taking a vitamin every day. So at least until you're finished breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you need that calcium. You need the iron. Um, now, I, we're going to do a show uh, in the next couple of weeks uh, on infertility, but when you talk to a patient, at how long do you suggest that a couple try to conceive um, uh, without success before they get the help of an infertility doctor, an infertility specialist? I think if they're younger, younger and healthy and have no obvious issues, then I tell them, you know, give it a try for 12 months and uh, see how you do. I think as women get older, um, and, uh, you know, especially in your late 30s and 40s, people are a little more nervous and impatient and, and are afraid that they're missing something and the time's running out. So there's no set rule. I mean, uh, but the older they are, the sooner we are to, uh, we are to refer them, the quicker we are to refer them to fertility for an evaluation. Sure, because even young couples, isn't it maybe 25 to 30% chance with each cycle, which starts to wane with age. 
If our patients want to learn more, um, maybe they could visit the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists website, which is ACOG, A-C-O-G.org. I just think that's a great website. And if patients want to see you as a patient, Mark, you see patients at Lancaster Hospital and in Edgemont and at Paoli, yes? Yes. And the number is 610-649-2126. And maybe only baby boomers will get this joke, but if you forget Dr. Finnegan's name, just think F-I-N-N-E-G-A-N spells Finnegan. <laughs> now, do you know what that reference is, Mark? I can't remember what <laughs> Did you not watch TV when you were a little boy? That's why you're so smart. You didn't waste time watching silly TV. <laughs> oh, well, it's from Harrigan, but only old people understand that joke. Dr. Mark Finnegan, thank you so much for being on the show today. We learned so much from you. And good luck to our listeners out there. See Dr. Mark Finnegan. He's the best. 610-649-2126. Thanks, Hi, Mark. Thank you. For your real champion, Mindy Oppenheimer. I call this segment Man's Search for Meaning. The word has said from the Old Testament, it's hard to translate into English, but refers to a loving kindness. But more than warm feelings of emotion, it describes acts of love and service for the other with a capital O or your neighbor in need. Mindy Oppenheimer, a member of Beth Hillel Bethel, a temple in Wynwood with a large congregation. She's a devoted member of the Hesed Network, members of the synagogue who support other members of the community during times of transition, whether it's a family in mourning, someone in the hospital, or a couple welcoming a new baby. Mindy is a leader in the outreach to mourners. Making funeral arrangements can be demanding. Sitting Shiva is the beautiful Jewish ritual, a week-long mourning period when the family remains at home while friends and family come to express sympathy and provide comfort. Often a time of shock, the grieving family can be overwhelmed. The temple staff will notify Mindy, then she contacts the family and presents them with a book about the customs and practices of Shiva on behalf of the synagogue. Mindy goes into the home, covers the mirrors, and sets a pitcher and basin at the entrance, where mourners can purify themselves as they wash their hands coming from the cemetery. She also coordinates meals, finds childcare, and even rides from the airport. When asked what moves her to comfort mourners, Mindy recalls her own serious medical challenge in 2005, which involved delicate surgery. And when neighbors and members of the community came to her side, she was lifted by their love and felt safer because of their support. She felt the said again when her husband was attacked and seriously injured by a stranger in 2013. But in listening to Mindy, I sensed her call to serve was, was there long before she was convinced by her own experience. In fact, her own mother was the best mentor and role model. Mindy grew up watching her mother care for older relatives, bringing meals, taking them to doctor visits. She calls it an intergenerational family business, and at the young age of 88, her mother is still helping others. Now her daughter bakes challah bread and has delivered it to the isolated elderly during COVID for the past year. Armed with her undergrad degree from Penn and an MBA from UCLA, Mindy met great success on Wall Street but in recent years found her true calling as a hospital chaplain or a spiritual care associate, visiting patients at Paoli Hospital and Bryn Mawr Rehab. She's learned the value of spontaneous prayer and helps people face spiritual distress. 
Mindy sees herself as a facilitator and believes prayer is the source of all comfort and healing. But her goal is to make a human connection that creates that sacred space. Because social justice is interdenominational, she finds a commonality with people of all faiths, including people who don't practice any particular religion. Enriched by her experiences, she recalls being at the bedside of a Hindu couple who had just suffered a tragic loss. Mindy informed the hospital staff the family needed to remain with their loved one immediately after death to get the person's spirit to rise. When easing pain of a dying patient, she learns what was important to him or her during life, then prays with the family that the power of the patient's love will bring strength to those left behind. One of her most dramatic experiences involved waiting with a woman while her husband was being flown from overseas with suspected Ebola. She spent hours with the grateful woman, much of the journey in silence. Mindy aims to help people in their darkest hours because no one should have to be alone. And as she reflects with her own brush with fate, she's grateful for her recovery and refers to her work by saying, that's why I'm here. We salute you, Mindy Oppenheimer, your real champion. Tune in next week to hear Dr. Maureen Kelly from Pennsylvania Hospital discuss evaluation of infertility. A special thank you to our faithful listeners. Invite friends and families to listen too. And if you miss a show or want to listen again, our website, yourradiodoctor.net. You can also sign up for our mailing list, nominate a friend or coworker for Your World Champion, suggest a topic we could cover. Visit yourradiodoctor.net. Now, to help make it through those April showers, stay tuned for Sid Mark and the sounds of Sinatra, and always remember that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.